Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 54, and we're joined today by Pastor John Lekumski from Southern Illinois with us in the studio today. We were just looking at these verses here, 5 through 8, and God, just in His mercy, speaking to that feeling of isolation, that feeling of loneliness, His people in exile. And, you know, in, in the midst of that pain and that suffering, you can't even keep the metaphor straight. Like, did, did He abandon him? Did He send him away? Did, did He die? It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is God saying, look, here, here I am now. It's going to be okay, and I love you, and I will have compassion on you, is what it says there in verse 8, with everlasting love, he says. And we were just talking about how, I mean, just, it's a shame that this isn't read on Easter. Um, I mean, it would really be quite the text to use, because, I mean, this really complements well, um, if we can think all the way back to when we were in John, back in, um, you know, May and June, how, you know, there's that there's that part in John where the Lord says, in a little while, um, for, for a little while now you will see me, then a little while you will not see me, for a little while you won't see me, then you will, right? Like, and he's just kind of speaking all cryptically, and, and everyone's like, hang on a second, what does he mean? Like, in a little while you won't see me, then a little while you will, right? Um, but this is like that verse 7, right? For a brief moment I deserted you. Like, it's just, for, yeah, for that little little time, you know, he he was dead, he was gone. I mean, and that's the crazy thing. It's like here, God is just metaphorically dead, right? Yes. Let's be clear. God did not actually die during the exile, right? He was not like dead from, you know, like BC 587 to like, you know, <laughs> like BC, like, you know, 539. Like, no, God was no, alive still. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. There is, there is, but, but the thing is, what's crazy is God was literally dead. Yeah. Um, from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. That's right. That's when God died. And, and again, that seemed like a horrible, terrible thing. And it's supposed to seem like a horrible, terrible thing. One of the disservices we do to people who are grieving is to give them the impression that they're a Christian, they shouldn't be sad. And that is just, that is totally contrary to the Word of God. And I, that's why I love this text, too, because if you feel deserted, you grieve. Of course you should feel that way. There would be something radically wrong with you if you didn't feel that way. And, and of course, we want to know the reason why. And as you alluded, AJ, we're not sure. The metaphors are mixed here. Was it that they had run away from him? Was it that he, God had kind of left them because of their wickedness? Well, we kind of get that in, in, in the next verse. But, but it doesn't matter. We're not concerned about why, but we are concerned about the fact that in a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. And then again, the next verse about with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Uh, so whatever the reason may be, uh, this is how it is now, and that's all that's important. Um, so may all the people that are listening to us right now that are struggling, we, we do not discount your, your pain and your sorrow. We're not saying you shouldn't feel that way. We're simply testifying to you about a God who is with you. Thank you, AJ. He is not, he wasn't dead when this text was written, and he's not dead now. Uh, right. He is alive, and he is well, and he is with us, and he's just trying to speak these words of comfort to us in the midst of our sorrow. Yeah. Well, and, and that's really the, the, the paradoxical thing, is when God died, he died to be with us. Yeah. I mean, he, he died to enter into our death, because that's where we were. In order for him to seek us out, he had to go there, to yeah. to be with us in our death, I mean, and that's um, I mean, that's so. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, it's, we we just had you know the end of the church year, not too long ago. We had that text from uh, from Luke chapter twenty three, and you know, and in, in that text, you know, um, 
you will be with me in paradise. You know, there, there's, there it is, you know, the thief can die knowing that he's going to be with Jesus because Jesus is there in death. You know, like he, he had to die to, to be with us and, and to think that he was willing to do it because there was no place that we would go where he wouldn't follow. I mean, I mean, and there it, we're going really back to like that story of, of Ruth. Right. Yes. I mean, like, I mean, isn't that, yeah. isn't that something that like, you know, Ruth tells Naomi, like, you know, where, where you die, I, you know, there I'll be buried too. Right. But like Jesus doesn't even like stop there. He's like, you're going to go down into, into Sheol and I'm going to follow you there. And then I'm going to pull you out of there. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing. All these things tying together um, and being found and fulfilled in Christ ultimately. That is such a profound thought, AJ. My God, thank the Spirit for bringing you to say that. Because, yeah, so we don't want him to die. We don't want to die. We don't want him to suffer. We don't want to suffer. But we are going to suffer, and we are going to die. And, and so the whole story is, no, God will not even abandon you there, will he? No, no, whatever suffering you have, that hasn't separated you from Jesus Christ. No, he is with you in his suffering, even to the point where he cried out in despair and grief, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And like you said, even when you go down into the grave, you will not go down there alone. He has been there. He will go there. And as we are baptized with him in his death, so we will also rise with him. Yeah, what a nice thought, AJ. Yeah. So he actually does that. I love that. I got to say that again, because that was such a, a <laughs> so that he died so he could be with us. That's why he right. died. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Even yeah. even when it doesn't seem that way, right? Yeah. It's, it feels like the opposite. It's, it's. Um, I mean, this is the theology mm -hmm. of the cross, right? It seems yeah. like the opposite, but... Um, you know, there's something bigger going on that meets the eye. So let's go ahead and take a look at the next just two verses oh, no. here. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Uh, 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 okay, well, okay, okay, okay. Go ahead. You've got three of the greatest words of all. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. Because you, yeah, you, 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 got, you got compassion. And you can't beat compassion, can you? Is that not a wonderful word? Uh, I got to look at my notes here. Uh, so the notes I've got is it says the root refers to deep love, usually of a superior for an inferior. I'm not sure what dictionary I got that out of. Uh, it's rooted in some natural bond, and it is in the peel. Would you like to explain to the people what the Hebrew form of the word peel is? Because I'm not going to explain that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the simplest way of explaining that is yeah. that it, it tends to be something like the idea of uh, has the perspective of someone with, like, intention or um, someone who's like acting on something to change something. Um, that's kind of the the most direct way I can say it off the top of my head. So uh, it's not surprising that this sort of verb would be in the PL because uh, you know, like when you have compassion, it's a deliberate act, right? I yes. mean, it is yes. when when you actually like have and show compassion to somebody. It, it's like you're looking at their situation and you consider it and you put them so, you put yourself in their shoes right and you have sympathy you have compassion this is not something that uh, a rock does like this isn't something that like a, a natural force of nature this isn't something a thunderbolt does this is um it's something that like requires a, a heart and um and then uh, again the idea of like kind of like actually changing or acting on something 
God does something about it, and he changes our situation when he does have compassion on us. And, and that's so that's awesome. That is just so great. So it's not like God says, boy, I really feel bad for you. <laughs> Man, you've had a tough life. No, but you're right. right. That, that whole form there, that peel form means, no, I have the feeling, but I want to do something about it. And there's one other interesting thing about that Hebrew word. It's also the root word for womb which I thought mm. that's kind of a cool concept, too. And now we're back to the whole marriage thing and the whole barrenness thing. Maybe yeah. that's just a fluke or accident, but you almost have to seem that the Spirit chose that word precisely. Then what the, the word uh, goel, am I pronouncing it right? Because I'm not a Hebrew guy. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a, yeah, I'm go, a Greek go, guy. yeah, go ale. Go yeah, ale? that's right. Okay. The, rede- the Redeemer. We, we talked about that earlier, yep, the yep. idea of... Um, well, like, like like an avenger. I mean, it's the, it's the word for avenger of blood um, in, yes. in numbers. Yeah. And what I think is cool about that word is it implies that you're helpless, right? Because you don't need a redeemer. Yeah. If you could take care of it yourself, you could right. take care of yourself. But the whole implication of a redeemer is that somebody else has to come and and uh, do it and take care of it. And then what was the third word? Oh, the hased. Hased, the steadfast love. Maybe we haven't had this. We haven't had that word yet. I jumped ahead. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <I> don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you can read no, some no, more very, verses if you want to. That's, now. that's very good. That's very good. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, no. Um, well, I'm glad you actually. I'm glad you actually mentioned uh, you know goel because um, that redeemer word because we were talking about Ruth earlier, yeah. and that's exactly oh, the yeah. word that was used for Boaz, right? He was the goel, he was the goel. For, for for Naomi and Ruth, um, who saved the, that that family, the family of Elimelech. Are you, so, yeah. the, are you getting the feeling that it's like the same author, even though they got different people writing it? <laughs> I get that feeling. All, I don't know. All these things, all these things tie together um, e- even better than like a J.K. Uh, Rowling novel. So, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead then, and uh, without any further objections, um, <laughs> look at nine and ten. Interesting thing here. Um, it, it's talking about now a different Old Testament story. So oh, yeah. not that it was yeah. actually ever explicitly bringing up Ruth and Naomi, just that it kind of like draws on the same sort of imagery. Here explicitly is another Old Testament story actually like invoked and named here, yeah. which helps us to understand kind of the, the, the mixed metaphors here of this this feeling of God God is gone, God's abandoned us. So this is what we have here in the next two verses, 9 and 10. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So the the, the, the word that, of course, I talked about, that steadfast love, that, that you hear yes. it over and over again, said. So so what's your take on said? Because there's a lot of different opinions about what the, the nuance of that word is, but so where do you come from when you hear said? Well, yeah, I think that sometimes we got to be careful not to kind of like place everything on the dictionary, you know, yeah, like I, exactly. I, I feel like a, a lot of times like yeah, a sermon starts off with like Webster says, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody who started their sermon that way. Maybe it but, was but, justified. But let us it's say not don't, my, it's, don't ever it's, say <laughs> Webster says. We're it's not, not saying, it's not, it's we're not, not criticizing it's not you, my, but just it's don't. Not, <laughs> It is, it is not my favorite way that I, I personally avoid because just because of this, right? Like there, there's a meaning for a word, but it yeah. matters a lot. Who's the one saying it? What situation is it set in? Context, right. So, yeah. so I, th- I think that this word has said it's the same way. It basically means 
loyalty. If yes. you just had to boil it yeah. down one yeah. word, it means loyalty. But the thing is, it means a very different thing if we are loyal to God versus if God is loyal to us, right? Because if we're loyal to God, that's, okay, we're going to do what he says, right? And he's right. going to say, like, you know, here, here's these things, and we're going to follow through with it, right? But if God's loyal to us, see, that that's not like, well, he's like holding up his end of the bargain or something like that, or like we have something on him or like, Hey God, we, we paid for a certain amount of your loyalty or like, no, God's loyalty works differently when he is loyal. I mean, it's like, it's like what he says repeatedly. I mean, he's, it's only for his own name's sake um, that he's just totally graciously saying, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to forget about you no matter what. Why? Well, just because I put my name on you and I put your name on me, and that was entirely an act of grace. So I think that's why it's hard to translate sometimes because you don't want to like just say loyalty because you don't want to give the wrong impression. But indeed, when God is loyal, it is entirely an act of grace and steadfast love. So you, you've got that. You've got that sense here. And, and you're right. It's just always a good thing. <laughs> All right. Whenever yes. you run about steadfast love, remember that's how God feels about you. And whatever the context may be, even our personal lives, but you just need to know you've got that steadfast love uh, um, that that has said and it's all the time. In fact, I just wish the English translation would consistently use one phrase for that word. Well, So sure. at least we would know that's what's being said. But you're right. In this context, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. So uh, loyalty fits really nicely there, because I may an agreement with you right an agreement you broke by the way <laughs> okay. that's right so well, I'm that's not bound by that agreement but you see that's, that's right when i make an agreement i keep my words regardless of what the other i know you guys make agreements and if somebody breaks it well that's okay do whatever you want to do but not not with god and, and that's the steadfast love and that's why even when you've been unfaithful you know what you do when you're unfaithful you go back to the lord and say i'm sorry for that and the lord says you know what i never ever stop loving you. I never ever right. There may have been sometimes you didn't love me, but I never ever stopped and I never ever will. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, that's the that's the amazing thing about the idea of God's of God's faithfulness, of his loyalty that his his love is not contingent. It does not depend on our love that he's going to go on loving us like even if we stop even if we say we if even if God forbid we say like I hate you and I want you to go away and all the rest of it it doesn't change him. You know, we're, we're, we are the ones uh, who, who need to be changed. And mercifully, he does have compassion that, as we were saying earlier, changes us. Uh, and, and we do come around and we, by his mercy, um, come to this realization that he never left us. And the phrase here stood out to me, too, because it just, it just reminded me of uh, a, a figure of speech of our Lord where he says, Heaven and earth may pass away, uh, but my word yeah. will never pass yeah. away. It, yeah. it, it's it's even kind of like a bigger version of verse ten here, right? Because it's like the mountains may depart and the hills be moved, right? Um, but my steadfast love will not depart. I mean, that's in, in some ways like our Lord Jesus is just upping the ante and kind of saying the same thing. It's not that you know the hills and the mountains might, might be gone. Heaven and earth might go. Away. Yes, even like the bigger. whole yes. thing, yeah. right? Yeah. The whole the whole world might go. But my word is going to, it's not going anywhere, you know, and, and it's, um, and of course, it's a word of, of what? It's a word of steadfast love. It's a word that confirms the covenant of peace. It's his word that 
gives us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. It's his word that that creates a new hearts in us that reflects the love of God. And and I, you know what? I think you actually gave me the definition of hased I will use from here on out. Hased means that God will always love us no matter what. And like you said, it's not dependent on our love. That's why it's steadfast love. It's always there no matter what. And, of course, the tough thing for us is to realize is when we are struggling and when we feel the grief and we feel like the abandonment, no, 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 that's not so. That isn't true. He has not abandoned us. I may feel that way, and it's okay to feel that way. I'm not denying that, but just as long as you still have the faith and know. And you can depend on that because it's not dependent on how you feel. That's the whole great thing about steadfast love. If it wasn't steadfast love, then you should get really anxious when you start to worry. But because it is steadfast love, even in your worries, you know the Lord will still be there for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so so taking that then, that idea of steadfast love— you know, how does that play into this this story here? Because you know, yeah. here's God invoking the story of of Noah to show like how this works, right? And so, you know, he's taking the story of Noah because you know it's striking in Genesis six. There's this description that God um, he feels bad about having made humanity, yeah. right? Like he actually like there, there's just he feels bad about it. He feels sorry he did it. Um, because he looks at the earth and he's like, this is a disaster. Um, and, you know, it's like in, in some in some way, it's like it's a disaster that I let happen uh, because I, I made these people. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I knew this was going to happen. Right. And, and so there, there's this grieving that God does. And in the and so because of that grieving, right, he sends the flood to wipe everything out. But the thing is, even when he does that, right, even when it's like I'm going to destroy everything, well, he still he can't actually bring himself to destroy everything, can he? No, um, because because his ultimate nature is love. And so even when there's this huge flood that's going to wipe everything out, he's still saying, okay, you know what, Noah, take round up the animals, take your family, get on. You're not going to die. Like I'm not. I'm not actually going to totally destroy everything. So even when, like you know, by the appearances of everybody else, right? It's like, oh, God has just decided to destroy and end everything, right? Well, actually, there's this little boat that you might not be able to see in the midst of like this huge chaos and flood, right? But God has not even um, forgotten us for a moment. There is this little remnant, right? And he promises never to do it again. And so he's saying like the same thing is going on here. There's this little remnant hidden away in Babylon and the rest of the world may think that Judah's just gone forever, but it's there still. And I never stopped loving this little remnant. Um, and I'm never going to let this happen again, which is a really interesting thing to say because, Temple does get destroyed yes. again yes. later, yep. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you what do you make of that? I mean, like it's uh, you know, I mean, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. I mean, like it seems to be implying that, like there's no more Babylonian exiles for you guys. But I mean, does that not kind of happen later? Well, but see, here's the problem, and, and we have the same problem. So God comes and He says He loves us, and we conclude from that He doesn't really love the other people as much as He loves us. 
right? We're the ones he really loves and he really cares for. Uh, and so God has to demonstrate, no, no, as we said earlier, that's never been the plan. <laughs> no, it wasn't just you. No, it's always been all nations. So sad to say, I don't really want to destroy the temple, but we have no purpose for the temple anymore. I've already sent you a better temple, right? Jesus Christ, he is the temple where God dwells. So, so you may think that I'm abandoning you, but actually I'm just getting rid of all the junk that you don't need so you can focus on the one thing you do need, which is Jesus Christ, who came, by the way, not just to save you, O Israel, but to save all the nations. And that's what I told you from the very beginning. I haven't changed plans. It's what I told Abraham. He would be the father of many, many nations. Um, right. Yeah. I, and I think and I think you're, you're absolutely right there that, I mean, God's people was never actually, again, left Templeless, no, uh, because it's just what you said. Because before the temple was destroyed, right in the year yeah. seventy, right before that happened, God goes and He sends His perfect temple in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and it, isn't that something though that like God actually like makes good on this promise to say like I'm not going to leave you in a situation where you're like like oh no now what do we do like we've we've got nothing right. Um, because actually we were just given everything, you yes. know, before the temple was destroyed, before he pours out his wrath again uh, with, with the Romans surrounding the city of Jerusalem and all of that. There he goes, Jesus Christ, the the bearer of the heavenly Jerusalem. He just sends him ahead of time before all of that. What mercy that he sends the Savior before and instead of, instead of waking, making us wait for 70 years, thinking to ourselves, like, have we been abandoned again? Like the, the love and the mercy of sending Jesus before humbly, lovingly um, in, in, in the way that he did before all that went down. And so if you're an Orthodox Jew today, you really still must feel like God has abandoned you because well, you have to worship at the temple and you've made substitutes for it. You have synagogues and you have ceremonies. But of course, in the back of your mind, you're thinking these are just temporary. We've got to get that temple back because we know that's where everything really happens. And of course, God's saying, I've already given you what you need. And don't we do this as Christians in our suffering, our struggle sometimes? It's like, oh, God, I need something so more. And God's saying, no, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. <laughs> you have what you need. In fact, right. you have more than what you need. But, but of course, in our sinfulness, we're always thinking there needs to be something more than what we have. But if right. you've got Jesus, really, you know, and I, I, again, I say that with sympathy for people that have lost and people who are struggling. It's still a very, very sorrowful thing, as the text acknowledges. But honest to God, if you've got Jesus Christ, what else? Because he's going to take everything you lost and give it back to you a hundredfold. Isn't that what he said? And in, in the yeah. next life, everything you lost, you get back a hundredfold. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then, and then like uh, this description that we have in the following verses, just uh, like all these precious stones and yeah. just the, this this glory and this beauty and everything that's been put together. I mean, yeah, it's definitely this idea of you're you're going to get so much more back. We only have a few minutes here, okay. but let's go ahead and read the the rest of the chapter here, and we'll still have a minute or okay. two to right. to just kind of make some concluding remarks here. So here's verse eleven, picking right up um, where we left off with Noah. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. 
In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So again, this affirmation that the enemies that face us, actually God is in control of those. In fact, he created them. Don't worry, he'll overcome them. But the thing that I've got to point out in this last minute, it says in righteousness there in verse 14, in righteousness you shall be established. That's your, that's your foundation, righteousness. And the English obscures it because in verse 17, we actually have the same Hebrew word when it says, and their vindication is the English, but it's the same Hebrew word, righteousness, and their righteousness is from me declares the Lord. See, that's how you can be sure that all of this will work out the way God says it is, because the righteousness that will accomplish this, the righteousness that will establish, is not some righteousness you do, but it's a righteousness that comes to you from the Lord, as he declares here. Uh, It's interesting the word heritage there, too, is often translated inheritance, and we're back to the whole death idea, right? How do you get an inheritance? Somebody's got to die, and somebody has died, okay? Right. So that's all taken care of. Uh, So so, so weep, we're not denying that. That that is emphasized over and over again here. Um, But again, just know how it's all going to work out. Just have faith in how it's all going to work out. Amen. Amen. Yeah. No, I thank you for pointing that out, that there is that connection there in between verses uh, 14 and 17, that just uh, the, the righteousness, uh, both in the sense of, you know, establishing us in the way it's all supposed to be. Yes. And also showing even after all this has happened, right, showing um, that we are righteous, righteous for all the world to see, not because of ourselves, but because Indeed, our husband has never left us, um, and he has done more than right by us because he has never stopped loving us, not even for a moment. So so you Um, could be unfaithful, you could be cast off from your homeland, you could be stranded for 70 years. God still loves you. Yeah, so if he did that for the people of Israel, he can do that for you and me as well. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, John. It's so good having you on as always, and looking forward to having you on again in the new year. Yes, blessings. Everybody, Pastor John Lekumski, uh, pastor in Southern Illinois here in the studios today, also host of Wrestling with the Basics. You can check that out on the weekend, 9 o'clock Central Time on Saturdays. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, your support, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, they can be checked out online, lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word. Oh, yeah!
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I am Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 54. The end is near. We only have about a dozen or so chapters left here. And as we're approaching the end, a lot of these chapters just, they really stand out as very unique. This one here, just so full of grace, one just in, in very beautiful terms, very poetic terms. It, it's not really kind of talking about things so like historically or politically. Yeah, it's a historical political situation. It's the exiles in Babylon who are awaiting their their release by uh, Cyrus the Persian, right? But in this chapter, just such poetic terms talking about um, talking about a, a woman who feels like she's been abandoned, but no, she is loved. And, and that represents us. That represents the church, you know, the, the love that God lavishes on us, even when we think that we've been forgotten, even when we think we've been abandoned. And you've got this beautiful language that's just built upon with descriptions of precious stones like sapphires and carbuncles and all the rest. So just it ends up being just a really uh, breathtaking vision here that Isaiah has for us. Really looking forward to digging into this. And we have one of our regular guests joining us again today. We've got Pastor John Lekumsky from Southern Illinois, again with us in the studios. Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us. How are you? Well, I'm I'm excited. I'm happy. Because <laughs> so many of the chapters in Isaiah are really not all that fun. I, I mean, they're the Word <laughs> of God. We need to pay attention to them. But you've got you've got this super, super text that has three of the best words about God's love and forgiveness and salvation that you find anywhere in the scripture. So we'll rejoice over those three words. Um, the one thing I would want to say is I hope people listen to yesterday's episode or whenever it was, uh, what the episode you had on Isaiah 53, because I think mm -hmm. this depends on, on 53. It depends upon the image of the suffering servant. It depends upon the one who uh, uh, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed by our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we were healed, because all we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, and so now that we know there's this guy who, who gave up his life for us, what does that mean? And, and so that's kind of fleshed out now here in chapter 54. But if you don't know about the guy who suffered for you, I'll read you one more verse, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, that means you and me and all of our listeners, and makes intercession for the transgressions. you, you got to know about that guy, and then everything in chapter 54 is just such a wonderful promise because of that guy. Yeah, yeah. Well said, well said. Yes, I mean, it's um, because we can, um, it's so easy to see how 53, I mean, and that's what happens like every every Lenten season, right? Like, you know, 53 is read um, around Good Friday or on Good Friday. 
And, you know, it, because it's just so easy to see our Lord's passion in that, um, it is not too difficult to see Easter then in chapter 54, the, how it does really apply to us. It's not just um, a message of uh, rescue from exile for, you know, the people who are in Babylon, you know, some 2,500 years ago. Uh, it really just jumps off the page as a promise for our own redemption and salvation. And I'm surprised that in the church we don't use Isaiah 54 more, because like I said, it is just one fantastic chapter of the Bible. And and uh, I don't know, I, I haven't been preaching for about six months. I'll have to go back and look through my lectionary. Maybe it comes up more than I think, but it seems like a text like we ought to be reading uh, every year, I would think. Oh, anyway, that's my opinion. Well, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. There's. I mean, we, as we've seen in Isaiah, there's a lot of chapters that don't make it into the lectionary ever. But that's. I mean, that's part of what we're doing here today, right? We're well, making sure that's that. Right. So that's we're making we, sure that these things are heard, <laughs> that good. somebody's reading them at least. <laughs> that's the justification for this show. That's a good point. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's not in the lectionary, so we got to do it here on KFUO. So, there you have it. All right. Well, as we get started, would you go ahead and say a prayer for us and for all of our uh, curious listeners who want to see what is in this mysterious chapter that doesn't show up in the lectionary? You know, oh Lord, uh, I guess that reflects the way our lives are. There are some times in our lives, some days we have, and we just don't see the God of compassion. And maybe we feel, feel that we have been deserted too, just like this text talks. But, oh Lord, may in our lives be as it is in the Bible, that if we just read a little longer, if we just listen a little more, we'll hear this clear message that you are indeed our Redeemer, and that you would never forsake us and abandon us. And in fact, it may be that there's a good reason why you have left us feeling like we are abandoned, but by the promises we never shall be. So for everybody who's struggling right now, Lord, may, may this be a word of comfort to them, a word of encouragement, uh, that they are with you are with them, and you will never leave them nor forsake them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yes, I mean, it is, it really is, um, it, it's so beautiful because, it, I mean, I think we all can relate to that. We can all relate to that feeling of being abandoned or or being let down by the people that we trusted or the people that we were, were putting our faith in. I mean, it's just such, such a common human experience here. Um, and, and so to have that language being used to describe the situation of the exiles, or, you know, um, I mean, it even applies to the situation, you know, like uh, to the disciples, you know, there they are walking oh, yeah. down that road, road to Emmaus, feeling like, what on earth happened there? We thought that this was all going to work out okay, and then we, God just left us hanging. You know, this this last, you know, home stretch of Isaiah here, after chapter 40, just everything picks up in the lectionary a lot more. The first 39 chapters, like, they're, they're really hit or miss, whether they get included most of these chapters, 40 and onward, do get included, but for some reason, you're right. 54 just gets skipped right over, but we're not going to skip it today. Not today. So, not today. By God's grace, let's go ahead and dive into this, and let's just look at just the, the first three verses just to get the ball rolling here. Um, I thank you for the background information, kind of uh, re just reconnecting that for everyone who missed 53, uh, kind of having that in mind. So here we are in 54 now, first three verses. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. 
Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will be people and will people the desolate cities. Now, now here's the first thing, and I, I came at this backwards. I did not realize this the first time I read through it, but after I read through some of the images that follow, I, I had a better grasp of this barrenness. And, and, and you can argue with me if you want, because I'm not absolutely confident on this, but, but I, I get the sense here that we're talking kind of marriage to language. Uh, this is not a virgin, as we had a few chapters before with, with Babylon. This is a barren one, which I would think implies that she had a husband, but they haven't had any children. Would you agree right. with me? Barrenness implies that you at least had a chance to have children. Yes. But but you haven't. You haven't. And right. No, no one in the Old Testament context would have been called barren um, just because they were— um, you know, a 17 year old virgin. Right. Um, this would definitely be applied to like, you, you've had it, you've had a husband for some time and yet God has not seemed to bless you with children. And the implication then is because there's something wrong going on there. And, and what's cool about this is in a few verses, we're going to find out why she hasn't had any children. Okay. Although I think at this point, kind of the tension is you, you haven't had children because you haven't been faithful. <laughs> Okay, and that's because he's talking to the Israelites, and I know there's the immediate context, like you said, of them coming back from from Babylon, being restored. Although he's actually talking to all of us, that that's what we've learned in previous discussions. But but part of the problem is you haven't been faithful, and you know, frankly, when you're fooling around, you don't really want to have kids, do you? <laughs> right, right. You're not looking for that, and so I think there's that kind of image here. You're, you're barren because you you haven't been faithful. You haven't been the faithful wife that you should have been. Uh, you've got that image there. And, and yet, see, that's the beautiful thing. You think God would say, well, that's too bad for you. You've been unfaithful. You'll never have any children. And yet what we're told here is just the opposite. You're going to have more children than what you would have ever imagined you could have. Right. And and don't you think, A.J., that what we're actually talking about here is— because, again, see, the Israelites thought it was just about them. We are the chosen nation of God. And, and I think what Isaiah is reminding them, that was never the way it was supposed to be. From the very beginning, you were supposed to be a blessing to all nations, and that's when this prophecy will be fulfilled. It isn't going to be fulfilled when you go back and start your little community back in 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 uh, uh, Judah again. No, this will be fulfilled from when your purpose finally expands. What's it say there? When you possess the nations and, and, and the people of the desolate cities when you're spread abroad to the right and your left. When this does what it's doing right now, even as you and I are speaking, where the Word of God is going out to the ends of the earth, that's what this is talking about. That's when everything's going to be finally fulfilled that God has promised them. Yeah, I, I think that definitely um, we're going to see that, like, ultimately, that idea that the fulfillment of this, you know, many children in the big tent here, right, enlarging yeah. the place of your tent, right, um, all, all that's ultimately fulfilled in this idea of the Gentiles being brought in to that tent and being among the children, um, children from the four corners of the earth and such. There, there are these other themes here and there in Isaiah. Um, and, and speaking of what's here and there in Isaiah, this this is not the first time this metaphor of a, of a barren one who you know um, is, is not able to bring forth children has been used. There's been a couple others and with a little bit of variations, but throughout the scriptures, you see this image of not being able to have children. And it's it's a it's a very powerful metaphor because um, 
it's a metaphor not just for like suffering or tragedy um, or, you know, not being able to uh, fulfill like your, your hopes, but it's a metaphor for purposelessness Yes, yes. that, that, that you feel like, okay, all of this. And, you know, like, you know, in the case of the relationship, you know, I, I got this, you know, good husband and I was hopeful and we were trying and all of this and nothing, there's nothing to show for it. You know, and we, and we have that word, fruitlessness right to describe that how something is without purpose and um also so very often in the old testament you get the language of like the fruit of the womb right so there, there is this idea that you know hang on a second we, we we were faithful to god we 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 had all this these scriptures and these sacrifices and yeah yeah well you know we we messed up we messed up big but what was it all for why, why did why did he even make us to begin with? I mean, what was the whole like you know exodus from Egypt? Why is this all of this happened for for nothing? And and so I, I think God is answering this question like it hasn't been for nothing. It hasn't been fruitless. There is a baby coming, and many of them at the other end of this long dark tunnel. So so the word was be fruitful and multiply. That's how the whole thing gets kicked off. And so you're right, especially in Jewish culture. If you were a woman that didn't have a child, well, you must have done something wrong. God's got to be punishing you because, as you said, it's not just that you don't have a child, but you haven't accomplished your purpose. This is why you're here. So if you can't have children, there's got to be—God must be punishing you or doing something, you know. Uh, uh, and so you're absolutely right, right AJ. You're absolutely right. Uh, uh, but, of course, part of the problem is, is you didn't understand. It wasn't just that you'd have one child or even two children or 12 sons— no, no. God had bigger plans. What he was going to do through your uh, children is he was going to be a blessing to all the world. In fact, I think that's what he said, right? There would be a child of Eve who would be crushed the head of the devil. And that's what he said to Abraham. In fact, I think that's so striking. He never said, Abraham, you're going to be the founder of Israel. He said, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations. That's right. always been the plan. Right. Well, yeah. And, and through, through which all nations of the earth will be blessed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I will make so, you so, exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, yes. and kings exactly. shall come to you. Well, and, uh, again, fruitful. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Fruitful yeah. again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Right. Yep. So. So yeah. So definitely, like, like tying together like all these different Old Testament themes, um, and and just putting them all together to speak to the situation of the exiles who feel hopeless and purposelessness, um, in in the midst of all that. So, so then here we go in the next chunk here. Could, could you just read one verse at this point, and then I'll tell you why. Just give, give okay. me one verse. Okay. Well, let's just do four then. Yeah. Let's just do four. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Okay, now, now, just something about this verse. I, I, the, the commentaries I read, and I, I buy this, that, that this uh, um, shame of your youth is talking about when they were slaves in Egypt. What a shameful thing that was for the people of God to be slaves for 400 years. There's this widowhood, probably a reference to what they've experienced to be exiled in Babylon. Uh, uh, of course, the beautiful promise here, it's not going to—I know it may seem barren now, but, but don't know. You haven't seen how good it's going to be. But the reason I wanted you to stop there is because here's the verse that explains why she's barren, because she's a widow. Her husband's mm -hmm. dead. And, and that's the image. She was this young bride, and before they could have any children, her husband was killed. 
Okay. Now the question that raises, well, who's the husband, right? If I'm a widow, that means I had a husband. Who's the husband? I wanted to stop there because that's what the next verse tells us. The next verse tells us who the husband is. And then as Christians, we begin to see, oh, oh, I think what he's talking about. I think I know what he's talking about here. But but anyway, I, I, any comments, AJ? I just wanted to— Yeah, she's yeah, a widow. yeah, no. She's a widow. We're going to find out who her yeah, husband no, is. Yeah. Th- that's help. I mean, yeah, we definitely need to stop and, and try to make sure that we're, like, understanding the metaphor. Because we, yes. we don't understand the, the kind of the story that's implicit, because that, that's how this whole works, right? It's telling a story about this kind of hypothetical woman, right? Yep. But yep. if you don't understand that story, you're not going to understand the story about God and his people. So I I think that— um. I, I don't know if it, if it, I mean, I could see it like lining up that way that, you know, maybe uh, the, the first part corresponds to the slavery in Egypt and the second to the exile. Um, but it might just, might just be the exile exclusively that's in view. Cause I'm thinking about it this way here, like um, one of the stories in, in the Bible where this is actually the literal story of what happened, yes. right. Is, is the story in Ruth, right. That, that you've got uh, Elimelech and, uh, uh, Naomi, I was just thinking of the Spanish name for, for some reason. Uh, yeah, it's Noemi in Spanish. And I was like, it's not, no, don't say Noemi. What is it? Naomi, right? Sometimes the names that's don't the sound. That's when you know a lot of languages. Yeah, you yeah that's why, yeah. You just get yourself confused. Okay. Yeah, just, well, or, and, and at least in this case, when you read the Spanish version to your child every evening, because she's <laughs> stuck on the story of Ruth and Noemi right now. Um, but yes, so in that story, right, um, their, their sons, they, they go and they go into Moab, right? And, and the thing is, they go and they, and they take these wives, but the thing is, they die and they die before they can have kids. They're barren. Right? The wives are right? barren. Yes, yes. And, and, the, and, the, and the thing is, what, what Naomi uh, tells her daughters-in-law is like, hey, you guys are still young. You guys go back on to Moab and you can remarry. You can have a new life. You can still have a family. You, it'll, it'll be fine, right? But so there's this situation where there is this kind of like a youth, youthful barrenness yes. um, that, that results because your husband tragically died young, right? And, and so if you kind of take that as the picture— then, then perhaps the the understanding of it here is like God's people feels like okay, look, you know, here here we were, you know, we, we finally like established our kingdom, um, in in Palestine, you know, we we had the, the line of Judean kings, like this this was like kind of like you know um, our youth, right? But then our husband God just dies, yes, like all of a sudden tragically. Must have died. What else could have happened? Exactly, yes. because we, we we end up getting deported and sent over to Babylon, and so it's like before we could really even do something, right? Before we could really go and fulfill His purposes and and, and make make something out of all of this, right? Just our our husband tragically dies um, in 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 youth, and so the whole thing has just been for naught. Like no, nothing could come of this. Like why did he bother? You know, having a temple and, and having the promises to David and all this stuff, um, if if it was just he was just going to up and die on us like this, because I mean that's anyway. So yeah, that, that's kind of the idea. I think that it's like they, they they feel like God's God's gone in all of this. Like I mean, what other explanation is there for the exile? 
And, and what's cool, oh man, Adrian, thank you for bringing up the, the Ruth and Naomi, because isn't that what's neat when you start reading the Bible? These themes are all over the place. Right. This theme of barrenness, it comes up over and over again, and, and just to kind of further, so so you have the, the barrenness of youth, which, oh, there's still a chance. Find yourself some husbands, and, and they'll have children. Of course, she goes back. She goes back to Judah and finds the husband that will bring about right. a child, which, of course, we know ends up being the ancestor of Jesus. They don't right. know that, but we know that. But then I'm thinking, God's even bigger than that. Let's suppose you're barren and you're an old woman and well past the age of childbearing. God can still give you a child there, too. That's not impossible. Or maybe you can be a virgin, which, like you said, probably the word barren when used it, but it's the same thing. You can't have a right. child when you're a virgin, but maybe God can take care of that. Can, can you see the theme over and over again? Whatever it is right now you're dealing with people, that you think, oh, God cannot possibly overcome this. Or indeed, as you said, AJ, maybe God is dead, which was a really common theme several years ago. But this is the testimony of Scripture. No, no, no. Don't count any situation out when you're dealing with God. Absolutely. And, and so this is where God, he, he, he makes this comeback. And he, and he says, like, actually, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm really, like, back. I was never really gone, actually. Right. It, it, just, it just seemed that way. So, uh, so here's then where he elaborates on this theme here in verses 5 through 8 here. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she's cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. So, so the awesome thing there is we now know who the husband is. It was God. That's who the husband is. And, and of course, as a Christian, I'm immediately thinking about Jesus. Yeah, he's God. And he died, didn't he? But he didn't abandon. He didn't forsake. It's just like you said, he didn't do that to leave us. No, he did that because he needed to do that, because he loved us and he cared for us. Uh, I guess this this line here about, uh, for the Lord who has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, um, and, and that touched me uh, because I lost, I lost a wife. I, I know what it is like to, to lose a spouse. I, I imagine there are people listening to us who, who have had that experience. And, and for people who haven't had that experience, uh, they would say, well, how can you use the word deserted? They didn't desert you. They died. It's what people do. They didn't desert you. It wasn't personal, <laughs> you know? Right. But, but I can tell you, that's what it feels like. It feels like they deserted you. I thought they made a vow to me that they were going to be by my side. Well, they did say, until death do you part. I guess I'll have to give them that. But but, but I just—this language, because that's how it feels. It feels—we've well, certainly yeah. are grieved in spirit, and you certainly do feel like you've been uh, uh, deserted and left alone. But, of course, see, that's the beautiful— message here that he emphasizes over going, no, you haven't been deserted. It may feel that way, but you haven't been. That's the fact. Right. Yeah, no, I, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think that makes a lot of sense of it, that it, it, the emotion is so raw here, Yes. you know, and, and he's using such powerful metaphors, right? You're talking oh, about just is. like the yeah. most significant relationships in your whole life, you know, the ones that 
you know, when, when you lose these sorts of relationships, it's like, you know, losing limbs. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just traumatic. And when you have these sorts of situations, the metaphors, they blur together. Right. I yes, mean, so yes, yeah, yeah. It, it, is it, is it like the, the husband died? Um, is it like the husband like went away? Um, is it like the husband was just kind of like hidden? I mean, I mean, is it like the, the woman was like sent away and divorced? Well, it, it kind of feels like all of those things in yes. the moment, right? Yes. In, in the moment, it's just it's just all kind of one big mixed bag of just feeling alone, right, is the bottom line. Um, it kind of doesn't even matter how it necessarily happened. And, uh, and the, that's part of the situation there for the exiles. It's just all they know is that they're alone and that they don't have God in their corner anymore, right? And like whether it's God died or whether God like gave them up, like all these different metaphors are actually used kind of elsewhere in Isaiah, but here they're all kind of smashed together um, in this very raw way. And and it's really, what, what's striking to me is that God is, in a, in a certain sense, he's like owning it, like he's saying like, well, I, did, I guess I did desert you. I really did. Um, but it was only for a moment though. And, and don't worry because I will have great compassion when I gather you. Like, you know, but that's of course not not how it was. If if anything, right? God was the husband who was sent away. This is a uh, the husband who is who is cheated on. The husband who was scorned. The husband who was there the whole while, but the the woman up and ran, right? And so it, it's really amazing that God would kind of even allow this metaphor to stand, just as a way of of speaking to His bride in her hurt and in her loneliness and in in her pain. That he's like, you know what? I'm not even going to get technical with you and say, okay, well, technically I didn't desert you, right? Like, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm going to speak to you in the language of your pain right now. And I'm just telling you it's going to be okay. And is this not what the father does when the prodigal son returns? He does not ask, where have you been? What are you doing? You know, uh, uh, so uh, no, no, he just opens his arm and embraces him because there's no need to talk about why these things may have happened. At this point, we just need to let you know that you are not deserted. No, you are not. Uh, uh, for a brief moment, and of course, my wife heard that, and right away she says, Yeah, Jesus, three days in the tomb, right? Yep. A brief yep. moment. You alluded to the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. And again, right. how they despaired. They thought it was all over with. It was right. just a brief moment, though. Uh, and it's so hard for us when that feeling of uh, loneliness goes on for, what was it, 70 years in, in Babylon? And right. It goes right. on for a lot longer. But it's not talking time here. No, no, because in God, all things are eternal. Uh, and it is talking about how all things will be. And it will be. No, we'll see. If, if he did, if he did. And I love the fact that she's a widow. You know, I do think that's the thing. Whatever happened, this husband died. And for us as Christians, we know that was the best thing our husband could do for us. That was the best right. thing he could do for us, even though for a while it felt horrible. It felt grief and terror. But we now know that was he did it because he loved us. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that that's really. I mean. That that's the crazy paradox and all of this. And, and so I think we should talk a little bit more about it still. But we got to go into our break. But okay. hang on, everybody. We're looking at Isaiah 54 here. We'll come back to these verses here on Thy Strong Word. Right back. Mm -hmm. 